Blog Talk Radio. And welcome, my minions. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Here we go again. It's the balance on Saturday morning, high atop the balance studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. A rainy Sunday, Sunday, yeah, uh, Saturday morning here in Indianapolis. But hey, we move on. Happy Easter, happy Passover weekend to you. If you are uh, of the Christian faith uh if you don't believe in easter that's completely okay you're still welcome here so glad to have you aboard if you're hanging with your peeps remember the real meaning of this uh, of this weekend what happened and what is going to happen what happened yesterday and what is going and what happened tomorrow easter sunday obviously uh that's when christ rose from from the uh, from the grave but we move on let's talk a little bit about some NFL. We got our NFL mock draft in the second hour. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and super fan of the Browns. Ad, Adam Jividen is going to join us and we're going to do our official mock draft. Also at the bottom of the second hour, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us as well. Standing by in the balance green room. Guess what, guys? Guess what? Long Beach is over. That only means one thing. IndyCar is headed home, baby. Headed home, Indianapolis. And we've got the Indianapolis Grand Prix. We've got the Indianapolis 500. And do we have some stuff to talk about? Well, heck yeah. So uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, standing by the balance green room, is is going to be joining us. And then uh, Steve Wilson is going to be joining us here in about 30 minutes. We'll be talking some NASCAR. And we're going to kind of get continue uh this uh indycar talk because oh my god it's here guys race weekend is we could still get excited about it it's not may it's raining outside april showers bring may flowers as they say 917-889-8516 is my digits my name is tom marquis el presidente we're about to kick things off tonight Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities, 
the reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Balance 917 is our digits. Real quickly before we get started, I forgot to mention it on my monologue, monologue. I'm such a bad uncle. But I have a new niece, so I wanted to welcome her to the world. Sophia Rose Marquis was born in the overnight hours. Um, welcome, Sophia, to the family. Welcome to the world. wanted to just say congratulations to my brother, Matthew on the birth of his daughter in my awesome niece. Can't wait for the baby snuggles. Time to get into some IndyCar talk. And do we have a lot to talk about? Joining us now is our official IndyCar contributor, WSVT up in South Bid, Matthew Embry. Matthew, where to start? Where to start? Oh, boy. Go right ahead, sir. You know, I just 
I feel bad for the drivers that are getting sucked into this 25-8 rule talk. I think, honestly, if you ask me, Roger Penske, Bobby Rahal, Chip Ganassi, Michael Andretti, I think are just essentially giving a slap in the face to all of their pilots saying that there's a possibility they can't qualify for the biggest race in the world. I'd say that's almost like a vote of no confidence. I think it's total disrespect to their own employees and their own teams that they support, that they say they can't, that they're worried they're not even going to be able to qualify for an Indy 500. I'd say the fact that they're asking for that, I think that shows no confidence in their own drivers that they hired and they have the confidence supposedly in. I think it's total disrespect to them. They're even thinking about this 25-8 rule. You know, this has been one of the biggest stories of the week in the racing world. And, you know, maybe there's the novice uh, IndyCar fan that just pops in uh, for the race, maybe lives here, maybe is not a big uh, IndyCar fan, but just loves to go to the Indianapolis 500, doesn't understand all the rules, but kind of knows that there's going to be at least 33 cars on the track. Talk with us a little bit about why this is such a big story. Well, it ruins the possibility and what the Indy 500 is based on, and that is the fastest 33 drivers getting in. Uh, Supposedly, what it seems like Mr. Penske, Mr. Ganassi, Mr. Andretti, Mr. Rahal, and supposedly backed by Robin Miller of Racer.com and supposedly by the vice president of competition of IndyCar, Jay Fry, is a rule where if a minimum speed is met, a car automatically will qualify for the Indy 500, and even if there are faster cars than that car, that car is in no danger of being bumped, almost creating a nightmare scenario like we had in 1997 when there was a four-mile-an-hour spread between the slowest car in the field, Fermin Velez, who was a locked-in entry, and the slowest car that was in danger of being bumped, Claude Bourbonnet, who ran a 210-and-a-half. I mean... This is slippery slope here, and I think right now, as I said, I think right now the people that I think that should feel, you know, cheated by this are the drivers. I mean, it's a show of no confidence by these owners that their drivers can't get the job done, and I think that is total disrespect to these drivers who put it on the line every single race that their own owners don't think they can get the job done. I think that's uh, very narrow-minded, and I think it's unfair to these drivers that uh, they're being kind of shortchanged by their own team owners. Well, you know, absolutely. It, it, you got to have confidence in your owner, and the owner's got to have confidence in your driver. But, you know, also what we saw last year, just to digress just a little bit, maybe kind of on this subject matter, but not exactly totally, we saw James Hinchcliffe get bumped from the Indianapolis 500. They could have, if they were NASCAR, NASCAR would have ran James Hinchcliffe. There would have never been a time when, when, when you're, when you're, even though Danica never won a race, there would never be a time she wouldn't run the Daytona 500, Dale Jr., what have you, uh, if they had, if they failed to qualify the, 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 if the driver, if the car failed to qualify, they would have put that driver in another car. But, I don't know if this is tied or linked or whatever, but at the same time, last year when James Hinchcliffe did not qualify the car, he was still qualified to drive the Indianapolis 500, but decided to go ahead and bench uh, James Hinchcliffe from the Indianapolis 500. And I think that was 
huge for Hinchcliffe fans. Uh, and I thought that he did it very humbly. It was very done very gracefully. In fact, as a fan, I thought, hey, that's that's cool. That's the right thing to do. But we also now fast forward one year, Matt. We we're talking about this thing that is interesting. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the interview that uh, Robin Miller had with Robin Miller. I, I with, have uh, it on. I have it ready to listen to later today. I was so busy yesterday and had a lot going on, and, and I just have not had an opportunity to listen to that. during. I didn't have an opportunity to listen to that during show prep, but I, I caught the highlights of it. You're right. Very good interview. Go ahead, sir. Uh, the thing, though, he says is that his sponsors were hurt by that. Well, do a search on Google Trend around between bump day and race day. Who were two of the top three as far as drivers that were trending on Google search during that period of time? Danica Patrick One was James, James Hinchcliffe. Hinchcliffe. The other was Pippa Mann. Pippa so Mann. how can you explain that the two people that failed to qualify were hurt by you know, this situation? If anything, I think it got more attention and more support for them than for any of the drivers that qualified. I think that's a very interesting fact that kind of gets, uh, you know, shoved underneath uh, the rug a little bit. And I think my colleague, David Land, uh, I don't know if you saw his uh, post on YouTube uh, last night, but he clearly says, if anything, James Hinchcliffe and Pippa Mann got more attention by not making the show than any driver that actually qualified that weekend. All right, well, let's uh, move forward. Let's kind of get – and we're going to – we'll circle back around to this. There's certainly a lot to talk about this, but we want to get everything uh, done because we're, we're, we're here. Matt, we are here. It is – IndyCar is back home. Give us a recap. Last week, uh, uh, Alexander Rossi in his Napa car gets the checkered flag at the streets of Long Beach. Give us a recap of that. Let's kind of move forward as we begin to talk about the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Grand Prix. And the Indianapolis 500, the whole month of May, is just dedicated to fast cars here in Indianapolis. Another strong performance by Rossi at what essentially is one of his two home races, although people are now saying that Laguna Seca is his home race. Uh, Play on words on that. But uh, outstanding drive, uh, had a little bit of a deal with uh, Scott Dix at the start and on the restart, was able to hold him off, ran the car uh, flawlessly from start to finish, won by a colossal margin. And uh, I think he certainly uh, should be viewed as one of the favorites uh, looking to the IndyCar Grand Prix and the uh, 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Some decent results from others, like I mentioned, Scott Dixon and a few others in the mix as well. But uh, I think right now the focus and the momentum certainly is with uh, Mr. Rossi as we get toward the month of May. I tell you what, I'm excited to have him come. You know what? It's kind of like I always like to reference it to Christmas. It's like we get excited about it as we get closer and closer and closer. And I know a few years ago when they started the Grand Prix, people were like, do we really want another race in May? Well, heck yeah, we want another race in May. And 
granted, the Grand Prix doesn't get the attendance level that the Indianapolis 500 does. Obviously, uh, people who are doing traveling, I've got a friend that's coming in uh, for the Indianapolis 500. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to make both races. Uh, but if you're within driving distance, it's, it's well worthwhile. The Indianapolis Grand Prix is, is unique in a lot of ways because everybody knows the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is an oval track. But uh, one weekend out of the month of May, they turned that oval track into a road course. And as, as we know, that was created back when we had Formula One coming here. And they, they did good about keeping able to keep that track going and being able to keep that track making money. So to me, to my knowledge, it's the only track that does this. They literally conform from a road course to an oval course and then back to an, an oval course in just a, a matter of a short period of time. But the Indianapolis Grand Prix, that's up next in just a couple of weeks. Talk with us a little bit about how special the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is. And again, the only track that I know of in the world that can conform from a road course to an oval course in just a matter of, of, of days. Other than Daytona, I can't think of one either. Um, the, you talk about uh, the big events here, and within uh, 48 hours of completing it, then its focus immediately shifts to uh, getting ready for time trial weekend. So uh, certainly it's a changeover. It's also a changeover for the teams to get the road course kit off and get the oval kit uh, ready to go and uh, get a car ready to go from 104-mile-an-hour or 100-mile-an-hour lap time or lap speeds to uh, 220, 230 miles an hour. I mean, it's a big changeover in a very short period of time, but these guys uh, do it like it's nothing. I tell you what, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, those who have never been there do not understand how special it is. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to to come across from the media lot and come down uh, through the tunnel. And as I'm coming through the tunnel, oftentimes, I will hear cars just zoom, zoom across there. It's still to this day, and I'm 50 years old, and I've been going to that track most of my life. Still to this day, gives me goosebumps to walk through that tunnel and to hear those cars on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway truly is one of the greatest tracks in the world. Until you get the chance to experience that, it is unbelievable so i encourage anybody and everybody to do that well let's talk about indycar let's get into the stables let's get into the nitty-gritty of it all uh certainly we have some uh news that we talked about earlier but uh but overall let's talk a little bit about some of the staples coming into the month of may let's start with the biggest of them all and that's team penske obviously joseph newgarden among uh the leaders there in penske so let's talk about some of these stables as we get ready for the month of May. Let's start with Team Penske. Well, uh, Great Tadji doesn't lie. I still have uh, Will Power and Elio Casnevis 1-2 on my list. Uh, I have, uh, let's see here, Joseph Newgarden at 4 and uh, Simon Pagano at 8. So uh, if there's any concern about them failing to qualify, I, I sure don't see it. I mean, you have all four of them on my list at least, uh, making the top nine without much difficulty. So, uh much less the top 30. So you look at them, uh, I think they're solidly there, and they certainly will be a favorite uh, when we get to race day as well. As we look at our rookies going into the month of May, not only the Indianapolis Grand Prix, uh, 
but uh, the Indianapolis 500 specifically, uh, rookies is always a big, a big thing. In fact, rookies have to go through a special training course. They have to pass that test. Most do. In fact, I don't know that any that has it, but still, it's it's part tradition and part formality. And it, just the fact that being a rookie at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is unlike being a rookie anywhere else. We look at heard uh, probably one of the biggest rookies coming into this year's season. Talk with us about the rookie class of 2019. Well, obviously, you talk about uh, the big three, and uh, certainly you have one with the power team with Felix Rosenquist uh, with uh, Ganassi. And you certainly have one with Colton Herta with the Harding-Steinbrenner car, which is getting uh, certainly support from uh, the Andretti Autosport camp, which, so that means that car's going to be competitive. And then you have Pato Award uh, with the Carlin and the Alonzo ties. Uh, you know that car also is certainly going to be competitive uh, when we get to 16th of Georgetown. So I'd say uh, beyond uh, as far as competitive years, uh, this compares well with uh, Ed Jones, the rookie class in 2017 and I think it also compares well to the 2014 uh, rookie class that also featured the NASCAR veteran Kurt Busch well absolutely so how how what do rookies have to know if if you know we've seen this time and time again I always say that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a beast within a beast and if you do not respect the track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway it, that beast will come out and get you. The best advice we can give to rookies at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway trying to qualify for the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500 is what? First thing, you sound just like Brian Barnhart in those uh, Indy 500 review videos of 2004-2005. That's exactly what he said uh, in the first driver's meeting. But uh, I digress. Beyond that, though, <laughs> I tell you what, you have got to – Bring your A game. Uh, there's no question. I mean, it's a different ball of wax than anything these drivers have faced this season. We have run on, you know, tight road courses like at Barber, and we've run on street circuits at St. Pete and uh, at uh, Long Beach, and uh, a semi mix of the both uh, with the IndyCar Grand Prix coming up on the road course. This is a totally different uh, ball game here, where you're talking, like I said, an increase in speed and an increase in uh, the danger zone and the uh, scare zone as well. So you have to be able to do it. And again, a 36 to 38 car entry list, uh, you've got to bring your A game right away. Otherwise you will be in danger uh, of missing the show. Like what we could see with uh, several names on the bottom of my uh, Britacology list, which I don't have in front of me, but I can tell you uh, guys like, uh, for instance, uh, the two with Dryron Reinbold, Sage Karam, J.R. Hildebrand are in that danger zone. Uh, another rookie, Marcus Erickson, is certainly down there. And uh, you also have concerns about whether or not uh, guys like Jordan King or uh, Ben Hanley uh, with Dragon Speed, two more rookies, uh, whether or not they're going to make a cut. So uh, I think you look at that scenario, and uh, certainly uh, the rookie class, while it's very top-heavy at the top, there are also some at the bottom of the list, like I mentioned, in Erickson, uh, Hanley, and King. Uh, question not, uh, are they going to make the cut, uh, is also a question mark. 
We're talking with Matthew Embry from WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. And we were talking about the int- uh, the entry list uh, for the 103rd running, the projected entry list uh, that is at the Indianapolis 500. It has been trimmed by one after uh, Junco Racing uh, owner Ricardo Junco's confirmed his team will field one car in May. Uh, I quote, uh, we're going to be announcing this pretty soon, maybe in the next few weeks, uh, but it's uh, only going to be one car. Um, and a lot of people think Kyle Kozler won the uh, 2017 Indy Lights Championship with Junco's and, and contested uh, for four IndyCar races uh, last year, uh, including Indianapolis, uh, is said to be the candidate for the number 32 Chevy. So, yeah, Kaiser is going to be likely the lone entry there. Also, we should mention, it was also cut by one by Harden Steinbrenner. We thought they were going to run two cars. Uh, they are going to run just one. And I think for those cars on the bubble, I thought that was a spot stealer for Harding Steinbrenner had they run a second car, whether it was Jay Howard or Carlos Munoz. So you talk about uh, breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, the fact uh, that uh, Harding Steinbrenner is only running one car, I think, is a savior for those car, those drivers that are in the danger zone. I don't think the second Unco's car was in any position, I think, to really challenge for one of the starting spots. But I think that Harding Steinbrenner car that was uh, that is not going to come to fruition uh, certainly was. Let's uh, kind of get into uh, the standings as we've just got a few minutes left before we have to get uh, get into uh, the uh, NASCAR talk. Uh, but we're getting, we're going into the m- month of May as we look at the standings. Uh, what what are your thoughts? I mean, Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, obviously Scott Dixon, uh, all in the, in the in the, in, the, in the mix of the top coming into there to uh, Indianapolis this month. Um, I really gotta like Joseph Newgarden, and, and am I am I too bold? Am I too early? Is it too soon to say that Joseph Newgarden is going to win an Indianapolis 500 this year? I don't think he's the guy. Uh, I just the two years that he's been with the captain, he has looked good everywhere except Indy. Unlike you know the Paginots, the powers, the Castrodevices, he's actually taken a step back since he's joined Petsky compared to when he was with, say, what used to be you know Carpenter Fisher. Now it's just Carpenter. And I mean, it sounds weird that I'm saying that, but it's true. I mean, I think there's just an extra pressure that is there when you join the captain's team and it just depends on how you handle it. I mean, while several drivers have flourished because of it, Ryan Briscoe's name comes to mind as one of those that went from an average driver to a successful driver when he joined the captain. Uh, I just don't see where you could say Joseph Dugarden has been a contender for the Indy 500 uh, since joining Penske. I think actually it's been the exact opposite as far as his competitive nature at the Brickyard, as opposed to when he was not a member of this organization. That's a valid point, but let's also make a note with Joseph Newgarden, and maybe no comparison, but certainly a teammate, Will Power, uh, has done very, very well for the longest time, could not win the big race. Penske knows how to win the big race. Penske knows how to put drivers in the winner's circle. If you don't think they're not taking data from Will Power, and giving it to Joseph Newgarden, well, they are. And Joseph Newgarden has, has shown to me 
that he can be a very competitive, aggressive driver, which is what it takes to win at the at the Indianapolis 500. But we never know, and that's that's part of the excitement. Of course, you never know who's going to win any race, but just the excitement of talking about who's going uh, to to win a, a race. What about Ryan Hunter Ray? Is he another a, a candidate for another win at Indianapolis? Well, let's get to the new gun situation with power. Sometimes a driver's style does not match. So something that will work for Will Power may not necessarily work for Joseph Newgarden. I think that's one thing you got to keep an eye on. Uh, as far as Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, I don't think he'll be qualifying well. I don't think he'll be up there, say, with Marco Andretti and Alexander Rossi near the front of the grid. But uh, if the cars are more competitive and it's easier to pass as opposed to last year, you have to include him in there because I don't think there's been a more consistent threat to win the Indy 500 in the last five years than Ryan Hunter Ray. So I'm going to throw a an extreme dark horse out there. It's not a dark horse from the capability of the driver. It's just a dark horse from the aspect of I don't I don't just don't know that the team has. It would be nice. It would be nice. But how big? What what's bigger? Uh, uh, the actual winner of the 500 or if Fernando Alonso is the winner of the 500, which of those stories is bigger? I think Alonso is a threat. Uh, it just depends right now if Car- how committed Carlin is to it. I mean, they had a very good test at the private test of Texas. Uh, they will be at the open test uh, coming up on Wednesday of this upcoming week. If they are a, I don't know if they're going to release the numbers to that test or not. Uh, IMS uh, in IndyCar, I've kept uh, the numbers under lock and key for some of these other private tests that have recently happened at the Speedway. But uh, I think if Alonzo shows himself well, uh, he certainly uh, not only is a threat to make the top nine, I have him currently, I think, uh, 14th or 15th on my current gridatology list. I think he is a threat to win the race because, remember, he was in contention until that blown engine in 2017, not just for rookie of the year, but he had a bona fide chance to win that race. Marco Andretti. We like to talk about him because of his last name. That's probably the only reason that we do like to talk about him. That said, um, he's had his issues at the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway to include running out of gas. Who does that? But that's neither here nor there. We like to make fun of Marco Andretti, maybe because his last name is Andretti. But let's start to give him some credit because this year and last year, he has really kind of started to finally become an Andretti. Marco Andretti, 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500, not going to win it. But is he going to? Is he going to be there? Is he going to be in the mix? Well, there are certain drivers that are no longer factors on the full-time slate. But when the series comes to Indy, Tom, there are certain drivers that flourish. One of them, as we know, is Tony Kanaan. No question. I don't think you can deny that. The other one on that list is Marco Andretti. Consistency means something, and veteran experience at this track means something. And that's why, even though Marco Andretti and Tony Kanaan are not going to be championship contenders for an Astor Cup, they are going to be a threat to put their face on the board on a trophy because they have the experience and they know what it takes to get to the front and stay there. So it would not surprise me if Tony Kanaan were to win this race for a second time. Surprise me if somehow, some way, Marco Andretti would find a way to win the race for the first time 
and then the 50-year jinx uh, for, I mean, gosh, I can't believe it's that long that Andretti has won this race. And joining us now also, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest. Uh, Steve, I know you called in for a NASCAR segment, but we're kind of talking about IndyCar, obviously coming back uh, to the month of May. And I, I know, Matt, we talked uh, pretty extensively, and I'll, I'll let you go ahead and give the recap. And, and then, Steve, I'll let you uh, kind of uh, uh, chime in on this. But this has been a, a pretty big story here with the with IndyCar in the aspect – do dry, do owners have the confidence in their drivers, and they have to have? Matthew, go ahead and recap the story, and I'd like to hear your your thoughts on this, Steve. Go ahead, Matt. Well, Steve, I think you've seen it on IndyCar if you've been following uh, Racer.com, uh, David Land, 91, et cetera. We have heard from multiple owners, uh, Roger Penske, Chip Ganassi, Bobby Rahal, Michael Andretti, that they would want their spots for their drivers guaranteed for the Indianapolis 500, which would be similar to a format that was controversially added called the 25-8 rule in 96 by Tony George and for the 97 race in which cars that they ran a minimum required speed would be locked into the field and they could not possibly be bumped from the field even if there is a car faster than them that is not protected. That car would be bumped and not the locked-in entry. And it just seems to me that it's a vote of no confidence in the team's own drivers that uh, they can't qualify for the fastest 33. I mean, if they're one of the best drivers in the country and the world, I don't think they should have any problems uh, qualifying for the greatest race in the world without any protections. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I mean, that's been the debate in NASCAR for quite some time that even before the charters that we had guaranteed locked in spots, going back many years and you know we, we've seen on several occasions where um, these, these drivers are, are coming in and I, I don't think it's as good for competition as, as it really sounds it's great for the sponsors or great for the teams because they know that all they have to do is show up um, and not necessarily run competitive laps in, in practice, um, especially when you have drivers that are becoming more proficient in various forms of racing, and, and the competition level is increasing to, to multiple degrees, but it, it's just been a debate as to the fact of, you know, racing inherently has always been about going out there being the fastest person, um, you know, whether it's going for the pole or whether it's going for the 33rd or 40th spot or whatever number spot, um, you want to be as fast as you possibly can. And uh, I think it just takes a little bit away that, you know, and, and we've, we've kind of seen this in NASCAR over time is that we used to have very competitive uh, fields when it came to practice and practice, uh, not practice, but qualifying and qualifying was very entertaining to some degree and now we've just kind of seen drivers that just go out there and play games and um, you know kind of just do their own thing and run the, what they have to run and just to make sure that they get a better uh, better starting spot but we don't necessarily see competition as has increased by guaranteeing uh, spots um, we've just 
basically said that, you know, the, the sponsors are going to be happy and the teams are going to be happy because they just have to show up. And I, I, I never agreed to the fact of guaranteeing par, uh, spots, even in NASCAR when we had the uh, the rule in the past where the previous champion could be locked into the field. I, I didn't necessarily agree with that one either. I just think that racing should be about whoever is the fastest cars get to race that weekend. We're talking with uh, Steve Wilson, editor in chief of Speedway Digest. We're going to merge into our NASCAR talk here. Uh, Matt, uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, any final thoughts on IndyCar? Do you want to stick around for some NASCAR talk? I got to get uh, things uh, going here because unfortunately the South Bend Cubs game last night was washed out, so they have a doubleheader that starts uh, here in the next few minutes. So I got to get cleaned up and go over to the station. Oh, it's just the Cubs. It doesn't matter. This. I'll just leave <laughs> off at this. Uh, we're going to have a great race. We're going to have a great qualifying session. Mark Miles has, um, you know, ensured that there will not be any guaranteeing of positions for this year's race. Uh, I think the question right now is what's going to happen in the future and how that's going to affect things like car count, uh, fan interest, et cetera. Because if you follow Twitter, I think there are a lot of people that uh, I don't know if they're angry. I think the better word for it are disappointed that uh, this, uh, you know, can of worms has been opened up and uh, hopefully there will be some kind of compromise. And uh, in fact, there's a compromise that I'm even, posted to and sent it privately to Crash Gladys of Speed Freaks. I don't know if I'm going to post it publicly, but I think there is maybe some ways to do this where not anybody gets left out, and I think there is an equal balance and a trickle down, and I think uh, that's what needs to be considered here where it's fair for everybody, not just for the haves instead of the have-nots, and I think that's the biggest concern I have with this looking forward to, uh, for instance, 2020. Well, sorry, we're certainly going to be following Matthew Embry, uh, WSVT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, Matthew, look forward to hanging out with you out at the track this year. Uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y. And like I said, uh, follow my buddy uh, David Land, DLand91. Uh, he has some very good takes uh, on this uh, whole debate. So if you want to take a look at him on YouTube, just go to David Land on YouTube or DLand91 on Twitter. And uh, he'll have some very interesting takes, I think, that maybe you're not thinking about as far as the concerns of what this might create uh, for the future. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. You have yourself a good Easter weekend. Happy Easter to you, too, Tom. All right. We'll see you. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, editor-in-chief with Speedway Digest. Yeah, we're going to break down Richmond, and uh, we're going to talk some NASCAR. I'll be right back. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. 
so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. See the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. My name is Tom Marcusel, Presidente. It is Easter weekend, Passover weekend. Uh, so glad that you could uh, join us on this holiday weekend. NASCAR has the weekend off. Obviously, this, that's one of the few races that that, that series that, that do that. And joining us is Steve Wilson from uh, Speedway Digest. Real quickly, though, I wouldn't be the, the awesome uncle that I am if I didn't welcome my brand new niece, Sophia Rose Marquis, to the world, born at... Uh, 429 in the morning, five pounds, six ounces. Time for some baby snuggling a little bit later on. Spoil them, give them back to mom and dad. But welcome to the world, my niece, Sophia Rose Marquis. Steve Wilson, welcome back to the balance. Easter weekend, any big plans, sir? No, I get the weekend off and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> well, it's a good weekend to get caught up on Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never. What seen is our obsession with this show? I have no idea. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I've never seen a single episode of it. Never. Never. Well, you will not get what I, you will not get what I'm about to say to you. Shame, 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 shame. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to admit though, I I am guilty as charged. I really got into it. it. It's like one of those shows like Breaking Bad or or some of these other shows where you just gotta watch uh, Sons of Anarchy or whatever. And of course, the big build up this past weekend was. Season eight. Well, I wasn't quite there yet. I was still back in in season four, and and last weekend I thought I'd go on a binge and try to catch up. I got to mid season six, and I'm like, oh. So yeah, I cheated and I did the uh, YouTube updates, but I'm still mid season season seven. So uh, we'll see who's going to end up on uh, the the throne. But uh, (laughs) an obsession like nobody's business. It's I mean, I shouldn't make fun of, of drug abuse, but it's like crack. Once you get once you get hooked on it, it's it's there. Any big uh, uh, got the weekend off? You're not going to do anything? Just going to hang around? You're going to make a big ham for tomorrow? I don't have a clue, but I can tell you, I'm not doing anything. It's one of the few <laughs> whatever it is, you're not doing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we we won't keep you but just a few minutes here because there is no race this weekend. Just kind of recapping some stuff and and just uh, staying plugged in. Richmond last week, uh, weekend, good race. Love to watch that night race down there. You know, I here in Indianapolis, and I know part of it's tradition, part of it's money, it's a combination thereof. But I just think a NASCAR night race at Indianapolis would be awesome, and that would be the obviously never run the Indianapolis 500 at night. I just think that there's something awesome about watching a night race. Recap, Richmond, I know you were there. And uh, so certainly uh, you, you, you uh, thought there might be some weather issues. But, hey, overall, it ended up being a good race. I, I watched it myself. So uh, give us a recap, uh, Richmond under the lights. Yeah, well, weather threatened the entire weekend. Uh, I mean, we – we went from sprinkles to raining to, you know, lots of fog and just dampness. And, you know, at the end of the day, they got both races in. And NASCAR, I have to applaud them for doing everything that they did because they were, honestly, they they were out there early in the morning, late at night, making sure that track stayed ready and raceable. So for them uh, to get those two races in under those threatening conditions, um, you know, I, I think that's pretty impeccable, to be honest with you. But going back to last Friday night uh, in the Xfinity Series race, um, you know, it, it was it was a drawn-out battle between Cole Custer and, and Christopher, uh, Christopher Bell after a majority, or at least, you know, a good half of the race or so before uh, Christopher Bell had his issues. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and he was uh, retired for the night. Um, so, you know that that led for Cole Custer to go in, go on to Victory Lane. Um, you know, I, I I don't I don't think this really hurts on Christopher Bell at all. I mean, he's won enough races this year already that he's pretty he's already locked himself in later on this year. And I think he'll just be a strong enough contender that he he's already gaining enough points to serve enough into the season that'll carry him through a majority of the playoffs and, you know, one bad race like we've had this, he had this past weekend. Honestly, that's, 
that's not going to hurt him for the rest of the year. But, you know, for Cole Custer, I think that's a, a motivation, a, a momentum booster for them uh, coming into Richmond. They're, they're, and, you know, Stuart Haas Racing has, as a whole this year has not <clears> – <throat> has not been performing or hasn't been in victory lane. You know, last year we would talk about, you know, some Stuart Haas racing driver um, between all their cars for like one and three races or something like that. We would talk about them going to victory lane. Um, but, you know, for, for Cole Custer uh, to uh, to kind of have that momentum and hopefully that shifts across to the Cup Series teams, uh, that's, that's that's huge for him, just not on getting locked into the playoffs later this year. But hopefully it'll be a momentum booster, like I said, for, for all Stuart Haas racing. Because since Kevin Harvick in the Cup Series on the flip side went uh, to victory lane in the duels at, at Daytona, we've, we've not really uh, talked about Stuart Haas racing drivers except for Kevin Harvick and Clint Boyer and Daniel Suarez, you know, here and there. Um, they've been running pretty pretty good, but, you know, we, we like I said, we, we're just not talking to the, talking about them in victory lane as, as often as possible. Um, as far as the uh, extra, uh, as far as the Cup Series, I'm kind of bleeding over into that. Um, uh, you know, Martin Jurex Jr., it, it took him 81 events uh, to get into victory lane on a short track, and while that's probably, we, we think of that as probably abnormal or unusual, to be honest with you, because um, you know, a lot of these drivers, they, they grew up on short track racing. They That's how they cut their teeth. Um, so, you know, the, these drivers, when they come to these short tracks, that we, we have a multitude of drivers that can go out there and win. And, uh, you know, for, for Martin Truex Jr., um, you know, he's been really, really good at these ball-and-a-half racetracks. You take him to a place like Kansas or you, you take him to another mile-and-a-half racetrack like Kentucky or something like that, and, and we're talking about him contending for Victor Lane a, a good majority of the time. But, you you know, in the last couple of seasons or so, you, you take him to a uh, short track, and he's just not been a contender at all. He's just not been somebody that we actually talk about and. Uh, you know, 81 events, he finally got that first short track win out there. I think had Clint Boyer had uh, not burned his tires down, we may be talking about Clint Boyer in victory lane because he was strong uh, a good majority of the race and, and even in the closing laps there. But, you know, tires, uh, it's a high wear racetrack, and he just wore the tires off and just wasn't able to close uh, uh, as as fast as uh, as Martin Truex Jr. Um, you know was riding around that racetrack because he was on a rail uh, throughout the race, even when he wasn't in the lead. Talking with Steve Wilson, editor in chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, a few more minutes here of NASCAR talk before we get into our uh, annual NFL mock draft coming up in the second hour. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and super fan of the Cleveland Browns, Adam Jibbenen, will be joining us. Uh, Steve, who's the best driver right now, Kyle Busch or Joey Logano? <laughs> um, I. You know, I I think you know really honestly, Kyle Busch is a good driver every year, um, and I and I honestly I don't think that you know he's he's any better today than he was you know two or three years ago because honestly I you know you just see the competition level that he's able to go out there and perform upon. Um, as far as Joey Logano, um, you know he's a defending champion, so he has a lot 
here's a lot riding on this season. Um, you know, you you come off a championship season like he he had last year, and the momentum is riding high. And I mean, for him and Penske, Penske, um, you know, they they seem to be doing Jokic Racing and Penske. They seem to be the two dominant teams right now. Uh, as far as if I had to put them head to head, it's really. I mean, I, I think you, you every day you probably have to go with Kyle Busch, as many people that may not want to hear that question uh, or that answer. Um, you know, Kyle Busch, you know, I always continue to say it, but, if, you know, if he's got wheels on the steering wheel, he can go out there and probably win in it. And I think that, um, you know, that's indicative of what we're watching him do. Some of the records that he continues to break this year, He's uh, in line to break some more records on the all-time win list in, in the Cup Series, not only this season, but in the future. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's hard to bet against him when you go to a lot of these racetracks. And, uh, you know, while Joe Logano could have won this past weekend at Richmond, he's got a lot of racetracks coming up that we could see him in victory lane at. Um you know, I, I think comparing to him is really hard. I think, honestly, you know, as what Kyle Busch is doing right now, he's probably, you know, we, we have to probably compare him to uh, the the Dale Earnhardt's and the Richard Patties and the, um, the Pearsons and, you know, others of past times and just how great they are as far as uh, their competitiveness. You know, we were talk we're talking a little bit about Joe Logano and how he could have won last week at Richmond. And one of one of the things that I ask myself uh, was it surprising, I guess, that Joe Logano didn't didn't dump uh, Truex Jr. I mean, it just seems like uh, Martin Truex Jr. held off Joey Logano, but uh, for the Richmond win. But could Logano have done more? I mean, it just seems like Logano just was like, okay, take this win. I'll I'll, I'll take the second. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think that was the the question at hand because, you know, we heard post-race from several different drivers uh, and even Joe Logano himself that, you know, had they been in that position, they would have probably just, you know, Martin Truex Jr. would have been moved out of the way. Uh, no ifs, ands, or bots. Um, you know, but this, you know, we, we're not, you know, had this been, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, and we see drivers going out there in battle. You see, you go back to to, to Rick, uh, Rick and Rod and Kevin Harvick back about 2003, 2004, and it's kind of same scenario. They put the bumpers to one another, you know, lap after lap after lap, and they would swap position back and forth, lap after lap after lap. Um, we've seen, you know, oh, we, we can name any number of drivers that will put the put the bumper to somebody and move them out of the way. Um, was I surprised that he didn't do it? Yes, I, I was. I would have thought that if I had been in, you know, my my personal perceptions, this had I been into his position, Martin George Jr. would have been out of my way. Um, and, and honestly, yes, I am surprised. I'm surprised that he didn't do this because you know Joey Logano, for you know, you know, people think of him as you know that kind of sometimes that quiet driver. He he's a pretty aggressive driver, and we've seen that in the past. Um, we've seen his entanglements with Matt Kenseth, not just at Martinsville, but the preceding races that led up to that event. So, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, yes, yes, I I, I I I was kind of surprised, and I think a lot of other people that 
you know, once they realized what the situation was or watched a recap or replay or whatever it is or were asked about it, um, yeah, I think the general consensus is the fact is they would have done the same thing and they were surprised and shocked that he did it. Yeah, and absolutely, we'll see what happens. But uh, it's uh, we we like to act like it's the last uh, race in its uh, at Homestead. Uh, obviously, uh, it's a I think it's a strategy. Like let's just get the points. Let's just get done with the race because let's move on because uh, we we have uh, bigger things in focus. Steve NASCAR's unveiled its rules package and format for this year's All Star Race, including two features that would uh, be implemented in the uh, Gen Seven car that is scheduled to roll out in 2021. The first technical element is a single uh, piece carbon fiber splitter uh, that the series says will improve height sensitivity as well as offering a more aero platform uh, that should translate into a better performance in traffic cars will also be fitted with a, with a radiator duct that exits through the hood and moved at aimed at improving aerodynamic purity i cannot read so i'm not even going to try what are your thoughts on clarity. that clarity yeah. yep <laughs> go ahead um. Look, I'm all for NASCAR testing all these kinds of things. I think really, honestly, the only way that they can do it is they have to do it in these races. Um, you know, we, you know, you, you can take three or four cars and go up to Indy and try out these, uh, you know, different wickers and and different, you know, uh, uh, things and the, you know, intakes around around the splitters and things. Uh, but then when you get to the race, it doesn't perform the way that you know you see in two or three or four cars running around because. You know, you have 40 different cars with 40 different setups. Um, and I think really honestly the, the path forward is, is that I, I would like to see NASCAR. Sure, you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to do small little tests like that too. But I'd like to see them put them on the actual race cars, put them in an actual race, um, put them in a race what actually matters so that we can get the real-world um, data uh, acquirement. And I think that by using the um, – <clears throat> excuse me – by using the all-star race as a as a testing bed, um, you know, a lot of people saw the package last year, and they're like, eh, okay, you know, a bunch of guys riding around for whatever laps. And, but, you know, those, those are the kinds of things that when you look back at it, and if NASCAR had said, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and do that in the off-season, and we didn't put it in a – and we didn't put it in an actual race, then, you know, we would have an entire season of watching that. So you have to look at the bright side of this is that NASCAR is is trying to look at different ways that they can acquire the data, that they can change these cars up. And I think that the also race is one of those events. I think that we can also do it at, at, at <clears throat> excuse me, I think we can also do it in the door with Daytona and some other things like that. But honestly, you know, if uh, at the end of the day, if we're not getting these cars off the ground, if we're not going to a more bulky look into these cars, I mean, these things are just shaped like a bullet, and they're always going to continue to be aero-dependent on one another, um, not just at these large tracks like Daytona and Talladega, but at these mile-and-a-half race tracks, and even mile race tracks because of, you know, if, if you don't have, if you don't either have a clean air or you don't have a drafting partner, then you're just going to be continuing to mard basically wherever you're at at the racetrack, and you're going to have a little movement forward. Yes, you may be battling for position back in 10th, 12th, and 15th, or wherever you may be on the field, 
but you've got no forward progression. I think that's what we see so much in, in the truck series is that these trucks are farther up off the ground. They're less interdependent on one another. Um, they're big and bulky, bulky, so they're just like a brick being shot through the air. So, you know, it, it gives air, it gives the rope and the air movement around these cars a different tone, or I mean the, the, the trucks, sorry. Um, and I think that's why we see such good racing into that series is that, you know, a driver that's 8th, ninth, 10th, or whatever it is, is able to move up to the field. It doesn't necessarily have to always depend on another truck to pull them around or, or, you know, the clean air. Sure, clean air is still a premium in the truck series, but I think we see more, we're seeing more battles for positions. We're seeing people taking more risks um, because they don't need to depend on another another vehicle out there. And, you know, while uh, I, I think those need to be the forward progression in the Cup Series and even the Xfinity Series, and, um, no, I, I'm not advocating to go find, you know, a, a Cadillac and, you know, take that mentality and throw it out there in the field in the Cup Series, but I think that, you know, there's ways and steps to – get these cars to be less aero-dependent. And by, again, going back to using um, the, the the all-star race to test these parts and pieces, if it if it improves the racing, I'm all for it. If it doesn't improve the racing, then we can just chalk it up and say, I'm glad that we didn't have this put in an entire season. Story we're certainly going to be following. Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Steve, I know you've got the weekend off, no races this weekend, so sit back and enjoy uh, doing absolutely nothing, sir. But, but but please put on clothes, uh, just please. All right, buddy. <laughs> All right. Have yourself a good weekend. Week. All right. <laughs> Steve Wilson, Editor-in-Chief, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. I appreciate him joining us on his weekend off of NASCAR's off this weekend, and I know he was a little bit under the weather as well, so hopefully this weekend is a good recovery time uh, for all. We'll be right back with Ed Kratz, beat writer, Philadelphia Eagles, um, and uh, our official NFL contributor. We're going to do our annual NFL mock draft. Adam Jividen, Brown superfan, is going to be joining us in about 15 minutes. And in about 30 minutes or so, uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show uh, is also going to be joining us, and we're going to be chiming in on the draft, and uh, we'll try to get through our mock draft as best as possible. My name is Sal Michael Sal, President Dick. We'll be right back. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. 
so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about it. And welcome back to the balance one hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down IndyCar as IndyCar comes home. Comes home to daddy here in Indianapolis, uh, getting ready for the Indianapolis Grand Prix in a couple weeks. And then the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500, one of the biggest uh, events of the year, especially if you're a racing fan or live here in Indianapolis. Happy Easter. Happy Passover to you. Happy escaping the Mola Report reporting. Uh, Whatever it is that brings you here today, uh, so glad that you join us. It's our official NFL draft. And uh, mock draft, before we get into that, I do want to be that awesome uncle that I am, and that is welcome to the world of my awesome new niece, Sophia Rose Marquis, born at 429 in the morning, five pounds, six ounces. Time for the baby snuggles and to give her back to mom and dad. Joining us, though, now, uh, 
Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, footballmaven.io slash Eagles. I hope I got that right because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Hey, good, Tom. Hey, congratulations. Uh, grand, Thank you. Grand, uh, grandchild number two, right? No, no, my niece. My niece. No. Oh, your no, niece. Oh, your niece. Oh, it was your son. I'm sorry. My niece. My <laughs> awesome niece. So sorry. Yeah. Uh, Don't wish great. that on me. I got I, I, one grandchild that spoils enough. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 now, my brother and his wife uh, had a baby. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, uh, no. <laughs> No, but hey, I, I would I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, that came out wrong. I, I love my granddaughter, but hey, she's expensive enough as as well. Uh, joining yeah. us also, so now, you're, now your I, niece will. Yeah. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, say now your niece will be spoiled. Now your niece will be oh, spoiled, absolutely. just like your grand granddaughter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They live an hour and a half away from me, so I got to get get over there this weekend. But uh, uh, yeah, and joining us also who. Told me he had some daddy duties, but apparently doesn't uh, now. So, Adam, a super fan of the Cleveland Browns. How are you, sir? Happy Easter to you. Uh, happy Easter to you, Tom. And it's actually, it's also my son's birthday today. It's his third birthday. So, um, wow. Yeah, what are got, the got odds daddy duties? that he would have a, have a kid on the share birthday? And uh, what are the odds? <laughs> well, guys, let's get into this. We're going to talk about each team's perspectively, uh, and we're going to get into the mock draft. Uh, we'll start with you, Adam, because it's, it's the Cleveland Browns. It's the most exciting thing next to having a baby. The Browns have some draft picks coming up. Uh, talk with us a little bit about your thoughts about uh, the Cleveland Browns going into the 2019 draft down at Nashville. What's the strategy? What's the thoughts? They've got some uh, maneuverability. Yeah, you know, uh, we've got the, 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 the second pick, and the, or excuse me, the 17th pick in the second round. No first-round pick due to the, uh, to the trade for Odell Beckham Jr., which if you had to tell me oh, they I didn't could swap hear about that, that pick for – Yeah, if, if they could swap that pick for one of the best, most talented receivers in the NFL, I'd, I'd make that deal all day long. Um so, you know, I think that this draft, they got to focus on a couple positions. We've got to replace the safety since uh, Jabril Peppers was a part of that trade. Um, they could use maybe another corner and some depth at linebacker. Uh, they're not – I mean, they're, they're pretty loaded in, in, in most levels. So, I mean, this team is now – it's about building up that depth. That's where you see championship teams uh, – really shine is in their second and third wave of players. Um, and that's where the Browns in years past that had some star power um, kind of fell apart once that star power uh, got injured or missed some games for a variety of reasons. So that's, that's going to be the next, the next step for, for Mr. Dorsey and company. Ed, uh, talk with us a little bit about the Cleveland Browns, their strategy going into the NFL talk. We'll get into the Eagles, and then we'll start uh, beginning with our mock draft. Uh, Mo up in the BS Sports Show is going to join us here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but uh, go right ahead, sir. Yeah, uh, you know, Adam's the expert on the Browns for sure, and uh, I'll take his word for it. They do need probably some help, that cornerback, and I've seen some mock drafts that have had them taking a cornerback uh, with that uh, 17th overall pick in the second round. 
Um, maybe even a kid from Temple right here in Philadelphia, Rocky Sins, uh, who's a pretty good cover corner. Uh, Wait a minute, a good stand by. Did you them. say his name is Rocky? It's Rock. Yes, his first name's Rock, and his oh, last name say. is Yasin, I think. What are the odds of a, of a kid going to Temple in Philadelphia being named Rocky? All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> I'm not sure he goes by Rocky, but it's just Rock. But yeah, I should call okay. him Rocky. You know, Rock Yasin is his name. And he's, you know, he did well in all the uh, pre-draft stuff, you know, some of the bowl games and the, and the combine. Uh, you know, it's put him in good, solid position to be a second-round pick. And, you know, maybe the Browns. Uh, you know, take him, and then there's a couple linebackers like Adam said that uh, you know they could use help there. Maybe a kid, the kid from Alabama, uh, Mac Wilson, could be uh, a target for them. But uh, yeah, you know, the, Adam's right. The, you're only as good as what your depth is. You know, you only have 53 guys on an NFL roster, and 46 of them are allowed to dress on game day. And you know, I know the Eagles, Howie Roseman, and Doug Peterson talk about it all the time. Is everybody that suits up on game day, all 46 of those players have to play or have to be ready to play uh, at least. So, uh, you know, there's always in-game injuries that will cost you, you know, key players, and then there's, you know, the long, longer-term injuries. But uh, you have to be ready to plug in parts. You know, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl uh, in 2017, they were hit with a slew of injuries, but they were uh, very good at taking care of their depth. You know, they had depth up and down the roster. Uh, and that's kind of where the Browns sit going into the draft is they want to try to build that depth uh, for you know, just kind of in case something happens to uh, to that roster during the season in terms of injuries or suspension, whatever it might be. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor. Let's uh, go inside the locker room there in the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the, the war room, the strategy room. What are the scouts saying? Uh, what are the Eagles doing? Uh, post error, should we say post-Jolly Old St. Nick era, and a lot of people think that maybe they made a mistake of letting uh, Nick Foles go because Carson Wentz still isn't 100%. Well, you, you know, it's nice to have an experienced backup quarterback, and that's what Foles gave him. <clears throat> you know, the team loves Nate Sudfeld and Indiana kid, you know, from Indiana, but nobody really knows how good he is. He's only made one start, and that was in a meaningless uh, regular season game you know, in 2017 he, he against Indiana. the Cowboys. Of course he's good. Come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We may, we may have to see just how good he is if something should happen to Wentz or uh, Wentz isn't healthy enough to start the season. I, Wentz will be ready uh, game one of the season. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. Uh, he met with reporters earlier this week and told us that uh, he's pretty optimistic that he'll be even ready for OTAs in May. But, you know, I know how the Eagles operate, and they'll probably they won't rush him. You know, they'll say, hey, we're not playing a game in May or June. We don't play till September. <laughs> so they're going to take their time with him. But, uh, you know, Wentz is, Wentz is 100%. He'll be 100% by the time the season starts. I have I have no doubt about that. Uh, the fact that the, the, the concern is can he stay healthy for all 16 games, I, that remains to be seen. So let's get into it, guys. Let's start this mock draft. Mo from BS Sports Show is going to join us here in about 15 minutes or so. But uh, we want to make sure that we were able to get through this. We'll start with you, Adam. You think we're going to see any surprises in round one or Arizona Cardinals uh, going to take Kyle and Murray? I mean, I think that's just a foregone conclusion. But we've been surprised in round one of the NFL draft before. And uh, you got to wonder, do they really want to get rid of, a, of, a, of, of their current quarterback? But Kyle Murray seems to be the guy for the Arizona Cardinals. 
So I, I think Arizona takes Kyler Murray, and frankly, I, I think it's a mistake. Um, they have so many holes on this roster, and, and they have a guy that if he was coming out this year in Josh Rosen, would be rated as the number one quarterback in this class. So I, I, it's baffling to me, but I think that's the route that they're going to go. This is what this is what bad organizations do, and I can say that because the Browns have been a bad organization for the bulk of my life. Um, there's there's uh, the Browns pre Dorsey, and then there's the, the Browns post Dorsey, and it's like we operate as a functional as a functional team now. But this is what bad teams do. They talk themselves into somebody who has a ton of height, but but he put up a lot of numbers against horrible defenses, absolutely terrible defenses. And Josh Rosen last year wasn't didn't even have a chance. His offensive line was the worst in the NFL. He had one weapon and Larry Fitzgerald and and they, and David Johnson, and that was it. That was their entire offense. Their defense was atrocious outside of Patrick Peterson who had one of the worst years of his career because there was nobody else around him. So so what do they do? They, they take the number one pick when they could get probably a slew of picks from the Oakland Raiders, and they're probably going to use it on Kyler Murray and then get rid of Josh Rosen for pennies on the dollar, considering they traded up for him last year. Because, again, this is what bad organizations do. Well, you know, you're right, and John Elway is a perfect example about somebody who can't get the draft right, can't get the quarterback position right, but somehow have found a way to win a Super Bowl. Ed Kratz, uh, uh, Kyle Murray to the Cardinals, yay, nay? Yeah, I mean, you know, taking quarterbacks with your first overall pick in two years in a row doesn't make sense, but, you know, remember the Cardinals did change coaching staffs. Uh, you know, they want to get a guy that fits uh, Cliff Kingsbury's system, um, and they feel Kyler Murray is that guy. I'm not really sold on Kyler Murray, but it could be the Russell Wilson effect. Uh, you know, uh, Wilson's not real tall and has had great success, and they think my, uh, Kyler Murray uh, can do the same thing. You know, he's very fast. He's quick. Uh, I don't know what his arm strength is, um, but uh, I think the Cardinals are just going to load up on offense, and they're just going to, uh, try to outscore teams with Murray. I think they go for a, a receiver or a tight end in the second round. If, if they don't get one of those in the second round, they'll go with the other. So I think they're going to go quarterback, receiver, tight end in some form uh, and you know, give Kingsbury all these weapons so he can implement his offense, and it's all going to start with Murray. Uh, what the, well, the real question is, what are they going to do with Josh Rosen? Are they going to trade him? Uh, is there any team that's going to give up what they want? Will the Giants do it? On the Giants, they probably would, but they seem to be in love with uh, Duke's Daniel Jones, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, but I, I think Murray will be the pick there for the for the Cardinals. You know, you mentioned Russell Wilson, who just uh, became the highest paid quarterback. The bar keeps getting raised, and uh, we saw his uh, middle of the night Instagram announcement with his uh, 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 girlfriend, wife. I'm sorry, Sierra, uh, spelled with a C and not an S, but that's a whole other social media drama that we get ourselves tangled up in. (laughs) But middle of the night, laying in bed with your wife, uh, doing Instagram announcement, don't you think he hung on the rim a little bit? (laughs) Or did you not not see that or hear that? No, I, I, I didn't see it. No, I didn't. Well, I wish that I would have gotten some audio of it. At middle of the night, like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, Russell Wilson announced that he had a deal with uh, uh, Seattle, and um, he was laying there with his wife, and he's like, 
Hawks, we have a deal. And his wife chimes in, go Hawks. All right, y'all go to bed. What are you up so late for? <laughs> yes, let's go to bed. I'm thinking, yeah. you just became the, the highest paid NFL quarterback in the world. You're laying in bed with a smoking hot woman, and you want to get on Instagram? I don't know, but I just think it kind of like rubbing it in and hanging out on the rim. I don't know, but what are your thoughts about that? Again, and you would think a guy like Tom Brady, for example, would be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, but not the case. Uh, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks, is, is he is he worth the money? Well, I mean, he he is that, the face of that franchise. Um, is he worth the money? I guess you know the Seahawks think he is, and um, um, if they can afford to pay it, great. But you know that's the problem when you, you have a quarterback that's going to eat up. You know, you have a hard salary cap in the NFL, and you know if your quarterback's making you know thirty to forty percent of that, then you're going to have trouble uh, filling in the gaps. You know, say what you want about Tom Brady. Uh, he has been, during his career, the highest-paid quarterback, but Brady has always been willing uh, to restructure his deal or to somehow free up more money so the Patriots can have room under the salary cap to go get uh, a player that they may need to help fill out that roster. You know, we'll see if Russell Wilson is, is agreeable to do that because if you're taking up that much of the salary, then you're going to have to kind of uh, really skimp in other areas. And I think one of those areas of the Seahawks uh, in recent years has been the offensive line. You know, they don't pay the offensive linemen anything with Seattle. So they're skimping on the offensive line. That's what happens when you have to pay a quarterback big money like that. And the Eagles are going to find themselves in a situation that could be similar when Carson Wentz, when they extend Carson Wentz, which, by the way, I think will happen sometime before the season starts. Breaking news. <laughs> Adam, Adam Jibbidin, Super uh, uh, Browns fan. Let's talk about – let's start talking about – uh, as if we haven't talked about them enough for our entire year as they tanked and got themselves ready for the 2019 draft, and that's the Oakland Raiders. We, we would think that they uh, will trade with the 49ers. John Gruden gets his quarterback by moving up two spots. Uh, Gruden coach uh, uh, Locke uh, in, at the senior, senior bowl, and it's easy to see him appreciating the former Missouri quarterback uh, in, in the physical beast that he is. So, uh uh, the the uh, Oakland Raiders trade with the 49ers to get number two pick for Drew Moss. Oh Adam. man, um, could I could I see it? I could see it. I think it'd be a that'd be a bad move. I don't think Drew Lock is going to be good at all. I think uh, Drew Lock is the is is a physical, uh, big arm. He reminds me of Kyle Bowler. If you remember back when the Ravens traded up to draft Kyle Bowler out of Cal, he can make all the throws in the world, but mentally he didn't have it. Like for all of the physical talent, Missouri's offense was trash. Uh, I just, I mean, he, could he do it? Sure. Would John Lynch be excited to pick up extra assets to move down and still get either Quinn Williams or Nick Bosa? Yeah. But I think personally, I think Gruden stays put for this year. They take they, they, they ride with Derek Carr headed into Vegas next year for now, and then next year is the year when they make a move for a quarterback. And is uh, Drew Locke uh, too much of a stretch for the Oakland Raiders at this point? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think the Raiders should try to overthink this. You know, they have four of the top 35 picks in the draft. You know, just stick to your board. Uh, take who you think is the best player. I mean, look, they got rid of – uh, you know, the best defensive player in the NFL and Khalil Mack, why, why don't you address the defense at this position, uh, you know, at this spot number, uh, you know, stay put at number four. You're going to get a good defensive player. 
and let the 49ers, uh, you know, pick second. I, you know, I just don't think the Raiders should overthink it. Could they go up to number two for a quarterback to compete with Derek Carr? Yeah, I guess they could. But, you know, again, uh, I would hope Mike Mayock is a little bit smarter than that. Just stick to your board. Take your four picks in those 35, uh, the 35 top picks and, and see how those guys get do. Um, I, I just, I, I don't think it'll happen. I think the 49ers will stay number two and, uh, they'll probably draft another defensive lineman like they have in, you know, three of the last four drafts. Um, but I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the 49ers will stay put and probably take someone like, you know, uh, Keenan Williams, or, you know, the Alabama kid, um, or uh, um, some other defensive lineman. Maybe Nick Bosa. I mean, I could see them taking Nick Bosa at number two. I think I think that's who I would take from the Niners and from the Raiders. They'll stay put. That's a valid point. You know, I had both, and I will refer to you on this, Adam. I know you're the uh, Ohio State Buckeye expert between the two of us, and you certainly know uh, know about Nick Nick Bosa. But I had him going to the Jets in number three. What are your thoughts? Um, I could see it again. I Bosa goes off the board either two or three, and I think you're going to have either Bosa or Quinn and Williams, um, two or three, and and I I, I see it. Either either player makes sense for either team. Personally, I'd rather see Bosa go to the 49ers than go to the Jets because I hate the Jets a lot and I don't want to see a Bosa play for him. <laughs> well, valid point. That's that's the logic. That's the logic that all team owners should should use. And you know what? When I put the, my mock draft together for today's show, I put uh, again going back to the year the. Uh, the swap with the, with the 49ers and the Raiders. So I, I, I figure that uh, Quinton Williams, defensive tackle, Ed, uh, goes to the 49ers uh, for, from Alabama. I, I think that that's a good spot for him. And, and Williams adds just another elite talent to the 49ers defensive front. Ed? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I talked to uh, someone with the Jets organization, uh, and they had Ed Oliver in for a visit uh, recently. And, Indications are they really like that Oliver. So, you know, I would I think the Jets might pick Ed, Ed Oliver uh, here at the number three pick. That, that's who I would probably mock to the Jets at this point, just based on my conversation uh, with someone I know uh, with the Jets, is they really do like Ed Oliver. So, uh, going with my uh, – I always, I always like to think that people like to trade up or trade down and, and not go where they're slotted to go. So, I'm going to continue that theory. And knowing that Eli Manning stays are numbered at the Giants, they need that heir apparent. They need somebody that's going to be okay standing behind them. Adam, Daniel Jones, quarterback out of Duke, uh, does a, uh, the Giants does a trade with the Buccaneers. And uh, remember, when the Bears traded up one spot to, uh, to uh, get a guy by the name of Mitch Trubisky. And uh, so I look for this guy uh, to be – I look for uh, Daniel Jones to be the heir apparent to Eli Manning. Adam? Yeah, you know, if in that scenario, I think Daniel Jones to the Giants makes more sense for them at 17 because he's – I mean, I've watched tape on this dude. He's not that good. You've got Dwayne Haskins, who put up the single greatest quarterbacking year in the history of the Big Ten and did it, like, with ease, like, smoked every single season record there's ever been. And they would take Daniel Jones, who was an average quarterback at Duke, just because of the David Cutcliffe connection, which, don't get me wrong, I think could absolutely happen because I think – that um, 
David Gettleman is that much of an idiot. Um, could he do it? Yes. If I, I think it'd be smarter for the Giants to sit at six, pick up Dwayne Haskins, and, and let him sit for a year. Because if you're going to have the quarterback sit for a year, why are you not taking the dude that has the best and most accurate arm in the, in the draft? I don't get it, but it seems to be that's the way that the Giants are trending. But personally, I would pick Haskins at six if I'm the Giants. You know, that's about a point. Ed, let's, let's go to your expertise on this. I mean, let's talk about the, the move up. And if the, the projected trade with the Giants happens that I w- am predicting, uh, the Bucks get their man, and, and, and that's Josh Allen. And, uh, I mean, I think the Bucks will be completely happy with Josh Allen, and I think the, the, the trade with the Giants makes very good sense. And they both, both teams get, get, get their guy. What are your thoughts, Ed? Yeah, well, I, listen, I don't like I don't like any of these quarterbacks in this draft. I got to tell you, this this quarterback draft class reminds me of 2013 when uh, EJ Manuel was the first quarterback taken, I think, 16th overall by the Bills. I mean, to me, I don't think there's a top 10 quarterback in this draft now. Maybe Kyler Murray might be the outlier on that. I don't know, but um, to be honest, the closer the draft gets, the more teams who need quarterbacks seem to fall in love with quarterbacks and kind of ignore uh, a lot of their warts. And, you know, I don't like Daniel Jones even a little bit. I think if the Giants want to do it, good luck to them. But I think the Giants have needs on the defensive line and the offensive line. They have two picks in the top 20. They're picking 6th and 17th. Uh, could they flip-flop one of those for Rosen? Sure, I would do that before I would take Daniel Jones, you know, Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke or whoever. I don't like any of them. Um, I would probably, if I'm the Giants, try to trade my 17th overall pick for Rosen. And here I would take uh, even either an offensive lineman, a tackle, or I would probably address my defensive line and take, uh, you know, someone maybe like Rashawn Gary, a pass rusher uh, from Michigan. Maybe I would probably take him uh, at, at the sixth overall pick. Just stay put, trade your 17th, get your quarterback. But there's been talk about an extension in New York for Eli Manning. Um, so maybe they're not planning on taking a quarterback. Maybe this is smoke and mirrors. They're going to give Eli an extension and try to protect him with the offensive line. Um, maybe get him a weapon later in the draft, you know, a, a wide receiver uh, to take Odell Beckham's place. But, you know, that could be it. They could be planning on giving Eli another year or two on his contract and wait for Jared Lawrence to come out of Clemson. And maybe you, you'll find a way to get him or somebody else. Because to me, I don't think any of these quarterbacks are worth a top 10 pick. And let's talk a little bit about Ed Oliver, uh, leaving a junior from Houston. Uh, you did some studying, I'm sure, uh, because of Nick uh, Foltz, uh, and, and obviously he's in the AFC South. I'm familiar with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars used the number seven pick to pick up Ed Oliver. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I have Oliver going earlier to the Jets, and I know the Eagles really like uh, Ed Oliver. They had him in for one of their top 30 pre-draft visits, and um, there's a lot to like about him. You know, he had a terrific workout. Um, you know, he did have that issue with his head coach. Could be a maturity thing. Uh, teams are going to have to do their homework uh, to see what happened there, see what his maturity level is, to see if that was kind of a one-time only situation and what the reason was behind it. Um, but I, I like Ed Oliver a whole lot, and so do the Eagles. And for some reason, he has been picked as a kind of a candidate to slide down draft boards a little bit. I don't think it will happen. I think the Eagles brought him in thinking, Hey, if he's sitting there still at number 13, 14, 15, you know, maybe we try to move up 
uh, and, and grab Oliver at that point. But, um, I think he's gone at this point for the Jags. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if the Jags take some kind of an offensive tackle, maybe uh, Juwan Taylor from Florida. So speaking of Oliver, is, is Ollie seeing hi to us, uh, Adam? <laughs> yes, yes, that is Ollie in the background saying hi. Hey, well, I know it's I know you're 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 doing daddy duty and it's his birthday. Uh, any final thoughts on the until Ollie we said hi and he's welcome on the show anytime. Uh, I got a, I got a feeling that he's a Buckeye and a Browns fan. He doesn't even know it yet. So that's either here or there. Yeah, but Adam, what are your final thoughts on on the draft, sir? Um, you know, I think this this is going to be one of those drafts that is really heavy um, on uh, – I think it's going to be short on all pros, but you're going to see a lot of talent, um, guys that are borderline uh, – that are borderline uh, pro bowlers are going to be in this draft. Lots of really solid talent with a lack of superstars. That's the one thing that I've seen in, in watching – and watching tape of, of kind of the top flight guys, they're really good, don't get me wrong, but I think they're not as good as some of the ones in the past. All right, Adam Jebedan, super uh, Browns fan, thanks for jumping on with us on, on Easter weekend. You have yourself a good Easter, sir. Thanks, Tommy. too, buddy. All right, bye. Uh, bye Adam Jebedan, super mega super Browns fan. Love to have him on. All full disclosure, we're good friends. We've known each other for a long time, former colleagues. Uh, but uh, uh, appreciate him jumping on on his uh, son's birthday. Ed, let's go on into the Detroit Lions number eight. I, I think a lot of people think that uh, that that. Uh, Montuis Sweat, I think is the guy I'm thinking of. I, I know his last name is Sweat. Uh, but um, citing uh, Tree Flowers was a smart move. But I think adding Sweat gives uh, the team the dynamic duo on the outside. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I know there, uh, just recently there have been some concerns that cropped up with Montez Sweat. Uh, I think he had what was diagnosed as some kind of a heart uh, issue at the combine. I heard that, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's given some teams cause for concern, enough cause for concern that some teams have taken them uh, off of uh, off of their first round board. Um, I don't know if that's the case in, with the Lions. You know, you look at Matt Patricia, the head coach, uh, defensive guy. Um, you know, could they use some more weapons for Matthew Stafford? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, they traded away Golden Tate to the Eagles last year. They could use a receiver, but there's really no receiver. Uh, to fall in love with here. I mean, I, I think the Lions could be a candidate maybe to trade down, um, you know, later into the first round, you know, back in the teens perhaps, and maybe grab a receiver there, uh, depending, again, on how they feel about Montez Sweat. I think if Montez Sweat checked out for them and they're not concerned about the heart issue, uh, then they probably take him. Joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show and 104.9, the Eagle in the uh, huge metropolitan of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, Lima, Ohio. That's right. I'll get it right. Uh, uh, Mo, how, how are you doing? You know, we were just talking a little bit uh, earlier with Adam, and I know that by default you, you cover both the Bears and the Browns, uh, and that's kind of your gig. But looking at the Browns, I know we're going to backtrack a little bit, but looking at the Browns, uh, what are your thoughts about the Browns going into the draft? We're doing our official NFL 
uh, balance mock draft. We're at number eight. We just talked about Monty Sweat uh, to the Lions, so feel free to give us your first seven picks if you want to. But I, I know that, that you cover the Browns and the Bears, so what are your thoughts on those two prospective teams? Well, I mean, you know, John Dorsey, obviously, uh, you know, he likes to uh, to make deals and, uh, you know, he likes to get a lot of value for whatever he's doing. I think there will be a chance that if there's nobody on the draft board, like John Dorsey said yesterday, that, you know, the Browns will accumulate more picks if they need to. Uh, you know, this is the first time in a long time that they haven't drafted in the first round or even at the top of the draft. So I think it's going to be strange for Browns fans uh, to, to see what happens. Uh, you know, there's uh, – there's a few weaknesses here and there on the Browns, but, uh, you know, I think John Dorsey definitely will address them. And it, it's going to be fun to watch after watching what he did in the offseason to uh, definitely see as he prepares to uh, fill some of these holes and, and make this team, uh, hopefully, uh, in Cleveland Browns' mind, fans' mind, uh, a Super Bowl contender. What are the Bears doing? Well, I think I, that's probably <laughs> a little harder question. Uh, you know, they definitely could still use some guys at defensive back and, and safety. That's, they struggled in that area last year. Uh, you know, other than Tariq Cohen, the uh, the running game struggled a little bit. Now, uh, you know, Jordan Howard is off to the Eagles, but uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't know that Tariq Cohen can be an every down back just because of, of his size. Not taking anything away from the kid because he's amazing, but uh, you know, he's a he's a guy that I don't think you want to get that much wear and tear on him uh, on his body. So. Uh, uh, they could uh, they could uh, look to uh, fill a hole at running back, but uh, you know they they had a successful season last year. And now they've got to figure out how to build on it going forward. So it'll be interesting because let's be honest, there's been some times that you've, you've in the last couple of years that you wonder what the hell the Bears are doing. But uh, you know they got Cleo Mack signed up for a long time, so now it's time to uh, try to build this team into a team that advances past the uh, the first round of the playoffs. And uh, let's get, let's get back on track with our pick here. Uh, we're at number nine with the Dolphins. I think you know again going with my uh, uh, my projected trades, if you will. I think that they trade with the Bills. The Dolphins move ahead of Cincinnati, Denver, and Washington to to uh, uh, get their future starter while uh, Bridge, the quarterback, Brian Fitzpatrick, uh, runs things through uh, 2019. Uh, what are your thoughts, Dwayne Haskins? Quarterback, as we said earlier, we're not really that excited about the quarterback class this year. But Dwayne Haskins, minute of the pack, the Dolphins, not really a bad choice. I don't think so, anyway. So, so we're on pick thirteen here, the Dolphins pick. Um, uh, we're on pick nine, with the Dolphins pick, because oh. they, tri- they my projection. I'm sorry, my projection is that the Dolphins move ahead of Cincinnati, Denver, and Washington to get Dwayne Haskins. That's my thought. But you know oh, better I than see. I. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, not, not, not really. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it could have happened. I guess, I guess it could. I mean, like I said earlier, teams fall in love with the quarterback the closer you get to the draft. And um, if they think Dwayne Haskins can be their guy, he's probably better than uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, at this point. Um, you know, or the or the Dolphins, they could they could go away from a quarterback. It, it almost seems like they're tanking the season a little bit, and, um, you know, in hopes maybe next year there's a quarterback figure and they'll be picking in the top three, perhaps or top five anyway that uh, they can grab a quarterback next year if someone comes out that they like. I, maybe Jared Lawrence will be available next year. I'm not sure what, if he would be eligible from Clemson, but you know, if he comes out next year, of course he's going to be the real hot uh, commodity based on the kind of year he'll probably have uh, this fall. 
Um, so maybe the Dolphins don't take a quarterback here and um, they just sit tight and stay where they are and try to, uh, you know, address some other needs like a defensive lineman um, or even a, an offensive lineman. Uh, they could probably sit there and maybe get a Rashawn Gary or um, maybe an Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State, um, at 13. I, you know, again, if you're a team, you don't want to overthink it when it comes to quarterbacks unless you're absolutely in love with a quarterback, but um, I, I'm not sure I would do that if I was them. I would sit tight uh, and just draft somebody that I need on the offensive or defensive line at 13. Mo, you know, we talked early, the very first part of this hour here in round one, and that's Kyle Murray. And we were just, Ed was just talking about overthinking the quarterback situation. I think Arizona is completely okay with Josh Rosen. They go, they're going to go with Kyle Murray. It's, it's one of those scenarios of that, it's just going to happen and you know, it's going to happen, but it is the best decision for the Arizona Cardinals. Well, I mean, you know, when you're a new coach coming in, you definitely want to have the guy you feel that you can be successful with because your job depends on it. Uh, you know, and let's be honest, Josh Rosen, I don't think last year really had a chance to succeed. The, the Arizona Cardinals offensive line was absolutely terrible. Uh, there was, you know, already a lame duck coach in there. Uh, I don't think Josh Rosen, you know, honestly, in my opinion, is given the chance to succeed. However, uh, you know, we've seen it with John Gruden in the past, too. You know, coaches fall in love with quarterbacks, like I just said. And I, I really think that Cliff Kingsbury loves Kyler Murray. And if you can draft Kyler Murray at one and then pull off another number one uh, first-round pick for Josh Rosen who you drafted last year, uh, why wouldn't you do that? I think that's the best case scenario. Get the guy in there <clears throat> excuse me, that your head coach wants. And if you can get a first round, late first round out of uh, – uh, Josh Rosen, why not? Pull the trade in. Let's see what happens. Let's have some fun. Well, you know, we talked earlier about John Elway and the Broncos never been able to do right in the quarterback situation. So they don't have that problem this year at the number 10 pick. One would think that the top four quarterbacks are off uh, the board. So Denver picks an elite tight end, which might be a very good what they need. And that's TJ Hokuson uh, from uh, the Big Ten School of, of Iowa. Um, and uh, I think that Denver picks – I mean, you got you got Joe Flacco anyway. So I mean, Joe Flacco's not—he's old, but he's not washed up yet. So I think I think uh, uh, T.J. Hoskins is a is a good target for Flacco. Mo. Yeah, you know, and Flacco's had success with with young tight ends. Uh, you know, at, at this point, to me though, I, Denver just seems like a mess. It, it really does, and you know, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, if the if the Broncos are aren't good, that Von Miller is, is moved, or they try to move him at some point, uh, uh, you know, at the uh, in, in the year. So, I mean, yeah, you know, a tight end would be nice, but I just I, I think that that the uh, the Broncos are just a mess at this point, and it's it's weird how uh, you know it reminds me of uh, of Michael Jordan not being able to really gauge talent when he was drafting folks. You know, the fact that John Elway has had zero success drafting a uh, drafting a quarterback. Ed, what are your thoughts? John Elway just just needs to stay out of the draft room and have a cocktail and and watch what happens because he certainly doesn't seem to be doing uh, have a good success factor. What are your thoughts, uh, Flacco? There is their quarterback. Let's not mess with something. Let's not fix something that's not broke, and let's get him a, a nice target. Uh, as Mo said, uh, he has good success with uh, young tight ends. I wish I could say the same thing, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I, I think the Broncos do need a quarterback at some point. They need a developmental guy 
uh, because, you know, Flacco, of course, is – I think he's in his mid-30s now. So, you know, he's not going to play forever. So you need to develop a quarterback. I just think, you know, you, you just can't keep taking quarterbacks in the first round um, if you're a team that's chasing a quarterback like we're going to see the Cardinals do. Just imagine for a second, you know, Moses talk about how let's have some fun. What, what if the Cardinals don't take Kyler Murray and, and Kyler Murray, you know, still sitting there at the second pick? Imagine how much fun we'd have then to see how the draft would oh, fall yeah. and who tries to scramble up. Uh, to get him at number two uh, and some trades we might see. So that, that would be really fun if they were to, you know, per, you know, flummox everybody and pick uh, Nick Bosa or, you know, Quinn and Williams or one of those guys instead of Kyler Murray. But um, that would be some fun. But, you know, getting back to the Broncos, I think you could see if John Elway's smart, you probably should address the defense. You know, that defense is kind of uh, hasn't been up to par. And maybe you take a linebacker here. I think Devin White based on what we've talked about so far, could still be available. Uh, I don't think anybody's talked about him going earlier, um, you know, because I think Ed Oliver will go in the top ten, and that pushes the, the, you know, the linebacker down even further. So, you know, I think the Broncos could go for Devin Waite here at this position because I think Hawkinson will be off the board. I think the Bills will stay at nine and take T.J. Hawkinson um, to give Josh Allen kind of that uh, tight end security blanket that a lot of young quarterbacks like to have. Well, if Kyler Murray doesn't go number one, it'd be like Ariana not ending up on the throne at the end of season eight. Oh, that's my bold prediction there. Uh, what? Are you, you guys not Game of Thrones fans? Come on. Mo, no. Man, no I if, if, if Kyler Murray gets passed up by the Arizona Cardinals, John, uh, John Gruden will have an erection that will never go away. <laughs> one of those, if you have one that lasts longer than seven hours, go to a doctor. <laughs> no, I, I got to clear this up. Are you both telling me you've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones? Not one. Me and neither. Not one. Oh my god. Not one. So I got to. I got to do this Game of Thrones reference. Shame. Shame. So I am guilty. I talked about this earlier. I, I, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. I started it early, and then I fell off the bandwagon, got busy with life. And then I was like, holy cow, the last season of Game of Thrones is coming on, and I'm only on season four. So last weekend I went through this, went on a binge, and I didn't get caught up. I got all the way to, like, season six. So I have to admit, I did cheat and go to YouTube and do the highlights. It just takes you through for about an hour and a half. Takes you, it gets you up to speed. But then I realized, oops, I'm missing some important parts. So I started at the beginning of season seven and I didn't get to watch the, the episode of season eight. And so at work, we've got this bracket about who's going to end up on the throne. You guys don't know who Ariana is. We've been following her since she's a kid. She's now grown up and it's just a battle, a battle of the thrones. I mean, I, I mean, breaking bad. Did you guys watch breaking bad? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like an addiction. And I, I don't mean to make fun of addiction, but it's 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 the crack on HBO. Once you start, you just can't get off. <laughs> well, I can't. I, 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 I honestly believe that this is the first time I've talked to two people at the same time that have never seen the Game of Thrones ever. Well, I'm going to wind up on the throne here in just a second before my show starts. So. Okay, I, uh, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Mo from the BS Sports Show, 104.9 The Eagle. Thanks for joining us, Mo. Have yourself a good day. I right, love you guys. Right, right, see you, you buddy. Uh, hey, listen, Tom, I, you sound like some of these general managers about the draft, man. You're overthinking this Game of Thrones thing with going on the YouTube. I know. And, you know, watching that. You know, you're just overthinking it. Um, I know. But, and, and I will say this. 
I'll say this too. I've never watched a single episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, how, how bad? How bad is that? Going on with the drug reference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen an episode of either one of those shows. I, I don't know why. I just I don't know why. Just I have never, no reason why. Never happened. Really. Never. No, well, it just never happened. I I I got hooked on Game of Thrones. It's a fantastically well produced show, and it takes. I don't want to go through the whole show, but it it, it takes place in the medieval times. So here's what it's got: orgies, betrayal, beheading. Um, well, because back in the medieval days, this was kind of common, so you shouldn't really look down on it, but. And I don't because mm-hmm. each of their own. It's not my flavor. But you got same-sex marriage. You got incest. You've got <laughs> you've got dragons. You got um, um, adultery. You've got murder. You've got um, unsuspected people. You've got uh, you've got um, oh the trees have ears. You got spies. It's got it all. I mean. What what yeah. do you miss it here? <laughs> it's got drunken well, you know, orgies. Now, uh, it's got booze. It's got. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I wonder. Full disclosure: Do not watch son. it with your child. <laughs> Mom, your my young son child. If you have a great... yeah, yeah. My I've got like a young child. It, so. a, li- a little kid. Yeah. Don't watch it with a little kid. <laughs> it's not kid friendly no. at, <laughs> at all. <laughs> Well, one no. might it's say it's much, but <laughs> aren't, aren't there? Aren't there a lot of little kingdoms you have to follow and a lot of different characters yes, that you have seven, to stay on seven top different, of? I mean, there's seven different kingdoms, so you have seven yeah. different things going at one time. And then there's, again, very complicated to get into because we're several years in. But there's a guy who kind of plays the both sides of both fences and is an ally of all the kingdoms, but none of the other kingdoms know that he's an ally of them and his his name is little fingers and he creates more drama more problems and you just gotta yeah there's seven kingdoms you gotta follow anyway we digress uh, let's we got 32 kingdoms that we gotta we gotta talk about (laughs) (laughs) so uh well i i doubt i'll ever see it but uh i doubt i'll ever see it but never say never i guess Hey, I tell you what, you don't travel as much as you used to, so maybe you don't have those hotel rooms that you could <laughs> binge on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, we digress. So number yeah. we, we're, we left off at the Bengals, number 11 pick. Uh, I got Devin White, linebacker, uh, going to the Bengals. White takes over as uh, Vonze Birch's role in the Bengals' defense. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, I've poo-pooed this quarterback class, but I think this is where I would go with, if I'm the Bengals, I'd go with Dwayne Haskins. You know, it's time to cut bait on uh, Andy Dalton um, and, and go with the hometown hero, Dwayne Haskins. If I'm the Bengals, I'm taking a quarterback here, Dwayne Haskins. You know, we haven't talked much today about the uh, Green Bay Packers, but new coach, Aaron Rodgers, uh, rumor has it Aaron Rodgers and the new coach isn't necessarily – seeing eye to eye, which that has to get rectified. Sounds like there's some drama in the locker room there, but they got the number 12 pick, uh, and I think they're going to pick up jo- Jonah Williams, offensive tackle from Alabama. Williams can start at the right tackle guard uh, or guard for the Packers, depending on the health of veteran uh, Brian Bulger. Uh The Packers, and, and give us your overall um, high-level view of the Packers 
going the 2019 season with new coach and and the rumor has it that that uh, there's trouble in paradise, if you will. Well, yeah, I mean, really, Rogers. I mean, if you read that article, I, I think it was from the Bleacher Report. I mean, he just looks like a total prima donna, and we kind of knew that before the article was written. Um, you know, he doesn't really uh, get along with too many of his teammates, and, and you know, you could say the same about Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, that said, Rogers is incredibly talented. Um, you know, you hope him and the coach can figure this out and get on the same page. And maybe to do that, you have to draft somebody that's going to keep Aaron Rodgers happy. And, you know, I think a, a nice right or left tackle like a Jonah Williams would probably keep him happy because that presumably that guy would keep him healthy. Uh, so I, I think that's a good pick at this point is, you know, an offensive tackle, Jonah Williams or Juwan Taylor, either one of those guys, if Taylor's still there, I think Taylor will be off the board earlier. Um, which leaves them with who is regarded as the second best offensive tackle in this draft, Jonah Williams, or maybe they like Andre Dillard, the Washington State kid. Me, I like Andre Dillard a lot um, in this draft, uh, but, you know, I don't think some GMs see it that way. So I think they go O-tackle, too, at this point, and why, why not make it Jonah Williams? Well, I was talking with my son yesterday. He lives in, in North Carolina, and they're a big North uh, Carolina Panthers fan. My granddaughter's a huge Carolina Panthers fan. He thinks that the Panthers are going to pick up Dillard at the offensive tackle, and I believe the number 16. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some, some mock drafts that have him going there. You know, the, the Panthers need to um, do some work on that offensive line, and, and Dillard makes sense there, too. Um, again, it could be Dillard or if, you know, one of those other guys, Jawan Taylor, uh, slips or uh, Jonah Williams slips, then it'll be one of them. So, uh, you know, I see them going offensive tackle for sure in Carolina. Complete dumpster fire, but your your number two favorite team I know is the Washington Redskins. <laughs> but the, the the pick is they, they got the fifteenth pick. They, uh, a lot of people think they need that wide receiver position really bad. They're going to pick up uh, DK Metcalf out of Mississippi uh, if Washington doesn't grab one of the top quarterbacks, which is still a possibility. Yeah, you know, and, and a quarterback. I mean, you know, Alex Smith doesn't look like he's going to play again, and. Um, you know, you have Case Keenum kind of as a chairholder here for whoever uh, they should pick in the draft, either this year, probably next year. Um, yeah, the Redskins do make some curious uh, decisions. Um, but, you know, they did sign Landon Collins as a safety, so it's not like they're completely checked out on this year. Um, I, I think they probably need uh, an edge rusher type, uh, and this draft is heavy uh, in edge rushers. Um, I could see them going for someone like a Brian Burns from Florida State uh, to kind of, uh, you know, shore up that defense a little bit. And uh, they could go receiver. You know, there are some receivers out there. I'm not sure. Um, I like a whole lot of them. I like Marcus Brown from Oklahoma. might be too soon to pick him. Uh, but edge guys are so hard to find, and this is a draft that's deep in them. I think if you're the Redskins, it would be hard to pass on Brian Burns at this spot from Florida State. Let's go back to the Giants, the New York Giants, with the, some of the the chicken and bacon in the trading that we talked about earlier. They'll end up with a 17th pick. They pick up Rashawn uh, Gary. It seems like every year a defender falls unexpectedly into the middle of the first round. Uh, last year it was Edmonds, uh, Jonathan Allen two years ago. It could be Gary's turn this year, and given the uh, disparity, I guess, if you will, between being a athleticism and production uh, while at Michigan – could hurt his draft pick, but I honestly think that the Eagles take a good, strong look at Rashawn Gary uh, there for for them. 
uh, the Giants. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the Giants. I, I, I think I had them taking him early uh, with their first pick, and then maybe trading this pick for Josh Rosen. But if they stay at 17, I think they need offensive line help uh, as well. And um, you know, there are still some offensive linemen out there, mostly some uh, interior guys. But I could see them maybe going for a Cody Ford. Uh, from Oklahoma to address that offensive line, which, uh, you know, they really, if they're going to continue with Eli Manning, who doesn't move a lick in the pocket and tends to, you know, either go down on his own or throw the ball away when anybody's within two or three yards of him, uh, you need to get stronger up front. So if Andre Dillard gets past the Panthers at 16 or any of those other tackles dip, I think they'll take an offensive tackle. Uh, But I think if not, then I think they could end up going for Cody Ford here, uh, an offensive tackle from Oklahoma. You know, the Vikings got the, net, the number 18 pick. One would think that they'll get that guy from Boston College by the name of Chris Lundston, uh, offensive guard. He comes in and he starts uh, day one and, and uh, comes out the gate running, if you will. It's the ground running, if you will. Yeah, you know, my favorite player in the draft on the offensive line is this kid Garrett Bradbury from NC State, the center. And, um, you know, I, I think that if they bring him in and plug him in, uh, right away at center, they could move um, their current center, uh, Pat Elfline, uh, to guard, uh, and that just strengthens their offensive line right out of the chute. So I, you know, I think Garrett Bradbury would be the pick here. Lindstrom, you know, you wonder what kind of competition he's done it against uh, with Boston College. I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I like Lindstrom a lot too, and I think the Eagles might seriously consider taking him if he's there at 25. But I like Garrett Bradbury from the Vikings uh, with this pick. The center you can plug in. He's a 10-year starter. Um, maybe not the most sexiest of picks, but, uh, you know, I think he's one of the best offensive linemen in this draft. You know, Florida State started off pretty strong last year. They didn't do as good as they did in basketball and football, uh, but they're going to be losing Brian Burns, a junior. And, uh, you know, I think the Tennessee Titans uh, signing Cameron Rake was good for this year. Uh, Burns' skills will be valued in 2020 and beyond. So I think that Brian Burns goes to number 19 to the Tennessee Titans, AFCC. AFC South is just getting stronger, and the Colts have just got to get better. But that's another conversation. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, well, I have Burns going to the Redskins, so I, but I agree. I think they need to bulk up that defensive line. Uh, and I think they'll go with Christian Wilkins from Clemson. You know, he's a little older. That's kind of the knock on him. He's, he's 23 years old, I think. He'll be 24 soon. So, you know, you're drafting a kid that really you're only going to get maybe five years of prime out of instead of taking a guy that's, you know, 21, 22, uh, you're getting an older player here. But I think Christian Wilkins is just too good to pass up uh, at this spot for the Titans. So the Steelers begin their post years without Bell and without Brown and uh, uh, the soap opera, soap opera, soap opera uh, finally comes to a close. Uh, they pick up Devin Bush, linebacker, number 20 out of Michigan. Um, you know, sometimes inside line linebackers become available later uh, in the first round, but uh, Devin Bush might be a, a bright light of sunshine for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, they have a lot of needs, you know, wide receiver. Yeah, you have uh, Juju Smith-Schuster that's there, but, you know, you lost, uh, obviously, Antonio Brown. Um, You know, Ryan Shazier, obviously, is not going to play Steelers. Pittsburgh loves linebackers. I think the linebacker position has evolved through the years. I think Howie Roseman talked about that. The Eagles uh, vice president of football operations said that, 
you know, you're seeing it's harder to find linebackers because, you know, if you're bigger, you go play defensive line. Some of them are being moved to uh, the safety position. So um, it's, it's kind of an evolving position. But Steelers still love their linebackers. Devin Bush would be a great pick for him here. But, you know, so would a wide receiver or even a, a secondary. You know, their secondary um, it, it hasn't been up to par. You know, I could see him maybe going with a greedy Williams from LSU here or um, uh, that Byron Murphy another cornerback. So there's certainly a different, a lot of different ways they could go here. I, I have a feeling they'll probably go with that linebacker. Like you said, Devin Bush, just because I know Pittsburgh loves its linebackers. Well, let's, uh, we can't end the show without saying something about my Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich, Ballard, Jim Irsay. They got the number 26 pick ended the season pretty strong. I think I shared the, the schedule with you. I think they've got 11 wins. I think they're going to win the AOC South. Of course, I say that every year, but we're, <laughs> but I, I think a good pick for the for them is uh, Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle out of Clemson, and Chris Ballard is always looking to upgrade uh, the defensive line, which we like, which was, we've lacked it in the past. Wilkins is a great value at this point uh, of the round, and uh, again, don't overthink it. Play it safe. He's a good pick for us. Yeah, he's a he's somebody that can really push the pocket, no doubt. I mean, they can, you know, he can really get uh, you know, good generate some some uh pass rush up the middle. He's a really tall guy. I think he's 6 foot 6, real strong. Um production didn't always match that skill set at Clemson. I know they played him outside to start his career at Clemson and he had he had seven sacks, but hasn't come close to that number, but they moved him inside. So, you know, he's a guy that gives you that position versatility that a lot of teams like. You know, you can play him inside, you can play him outside possibly. Um, yeah, he, he makes sense here. I know, you know, you would like to get, uh, you know, another weapon for Andrew Luck, you know, a receiver, maybe like a DK Metcalf could, could fall mm-hmm. here or, um, you know, a Marcus Brown, the, the speedster from uh, Oklahoma, you know, they're the sexy picks in this draft, but Dexter, I wouldn't have a problem with Dexter Lawrence here at all, but I think you, you know, keep an eye out for the receiver spot too. They could go in that direction. Well, I hope so. You know, it's just a great chemistry that Ballard and Frank Reich have, and Frank Reich has just really won over the city. So I think they'll make make some good decisions. Let's play the home card real quickly. NBA playoffs, the Pacers suck, but the Philadelphia 76ers are still trusting the the process, if you will. They lead 2-1. to They take on the Nets today uh, at 3 o'clock. Are you following that series at all? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, you know, I think the, the Nets are done. I don't think they'll win another game in this series. I think the, the Sixers broke them psychologically the other night. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they came into Brooklyn after Brooklyn stole game one on the Sixers' home court, and the Sixers just rode them right off the floor. Ben Simmons was booed every time he touched the ball. They played with Atuel and Bede, which opened up some spacing for Ben Simmons uh, to do what he did. He scored 31 points, just took over the game, 11 for 13 from the field. Uh, and, you know, he was public enemy number one up there in New York City, and, you know, he really put it back in their faces. So I, I think the Nets are done psychologically, and the Sixers will be probably playing the Raptors in the second round. You're probably 100% right on that. Uh, and, and here's the thing. The Nets, they they had not finished over 500 since 2014. So it's good to see them get there. The Pacers, are, uh, Olin Depot, unfortunately had a had – a, uh, uh, an injury that put him out for the season, and I know he's been at the games, but uh, it is what it is. The Celtics are just uh, with Irving, and they just got too many weapons that we weren't able to come back. We, we we're going in zero and four. I think it's it's about to get wrapped up in out mm-hmm. of our 
put us out of our, our misery. It's Easter weekend, Ed. I appreciate you joining us, sir, uh, and uh, shedding your expert insight. Any big uh, Easter plans? Uh, no Easter plans. I'm just going to kind of lay low, probably do some writing and uh, post up to my uh, – tweet it out at my uh, Twitter, Kratzee, K-R-A-C-Z-E, or put it up on my website, uh, which is footballmaven.io slash eagles. So, you know, I'll probably be doing a mock draft for just the Eagles if anyone's interested. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to be doing uh, – sitting behind the laptop a lot this weekend. No real plans. How about you? <laughs> uh Oh, n- nothing really. I'm going to church. Got to get my heaven points. It is Easter. I'm not Catholic, but you, you know go. it is. Are you? You're Catholic, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. Uh, I'll be that's there. What, that's what I thought. Uh, what? It, yeah. Just, just a random thought here. What are your thoughts about uh, the Notre Dame um, fire in in Paris? Uh-huh. Uh, I know that has been a huge thing and a huge story, and um, I know people have made jokes, me included, but I, it's nothing really to joke about. But any, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Well, you know, having been there, I've seen it. It's oh, you know wow. one of the more cool. remarkable pieces of architecture you'll ever see, and um, just an amazing, awe-inspiring facility. I mean, you could spend the whole day just kind of walking around in there. I mean, that's the kind of uh, facility it is. And you know, to me, it's it's so old and such a treasure. It was just really sad to see that thing burning uh, like it was, and uh, it's kind of remarkable that they found some of the things that were that weren't hurt even though fire was mm-hmm. surrounding them you know that the, the, the thorn uh the, the crown of thorns that jesus allegedly wore was in there that was found okay they found a cross which was you know survived the fire which is you know you really makes you think twice about you know yeah there there is somebody up there uh you know making sure uh, keeping an eye on things so to speak so um i i was just you know i i was kind of a little bit sick to see that to be honest with you but that's because i've been there and i've seen it and i you know it's always one of those things it was i was younger when i saw it but it you know i still appreciated it at that time even being 17 years old when i saw it it was still one of those things that i appreciated and w- one of my lasting memories of a trip through europe i backpacked through europe for a whole summer uh when i was 17 um and that was one of the things that really stood out to me was the notre dame cathedral and to see it like that was really kind of sad for me Sure, I've never been there. Memory, memories last last lifetime, and also, I think part of the crucifix that was saved, parts of the wood in that cross were from the original cross that Christ was crucified on. So, uh, lots of history within that. Uh, uh, you can go back, you know, to World War II. You can go back to uh, just Napoleon. You can go back to so many uh, historical dates that are linked to that that facility. It's it's unreal. Well, anyway, uh, Mr. Ed, have yourself a good Easter weekend, and we'll talk with well, you again much, soon. Uh, we're, about to, we're about to get geared up on some NFL. Can we get an amen? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, let's go. Best time of the year. We'll talk again soon. All right, buddy. We're, we'll talk with you soon. You have yourself a good uh, Easter weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor. I appreciate him jumping on and again doing our NFL mock draft. Thanks to Matthew Embry, WSTBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, talking about IndyCar because IndyCar is back in the month of May. We got the Grand Prix coming up in a couple of weeks, and at the end of the month of May, we've got the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. I will be there. I'll be covering it with Speedway Digest and Speedway Digest uh, editor in chief uh, uh, Steve Wilson was on with us earlier. 
uh, to talk some NASCAR. And then Adam, super fan, uh, Mo for the BS Sports Show, 104.9 The Eagle, and Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Guys, hey, remember seriously, and in, in, in all seriousness, um, remember what this weekend's all about. And, you know, a Christian like myself, whether you're celebrating the, 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 the rise, uh, the resurrection of Christ, or you're celebrating Passover, just remember how awesome it is to have Easter weekend and what it means. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the world, my awesome niece, uh, Sophia Rose. We'll talk with you soon uh, right here on the Balance Radio Network. Remember, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.